Rocking the Academy is a podcast that's changing the future of higher education. Your hosts, Mary Churchill and Rupika Rizm, bring you conversations with the very best truth tellers who are formulating a different vision of the university. Do they rock the boat? Yes. But in doing so, they rock the Academy. Rocking the Academy is sponsored by Johns Hopkins University Press, publisher of excellent books on higher education. On this episode of Rocking the Academy, we chat with Ashley Gray, Program Manager in the Professional Learning Division at the American Council on Education and a doctoral candidate in higher educational policy and leadership studies at Howard University. Ashley is an emerging scholar activist with a passion for creating equity within higher education. Her research focuses on the intersection of race and gender on women college presidents through feminist and womanist lenses. Ashley's research on women of color presidents has led to an innovative research brief titled Voices from the Field, Women of Color Presidents in Higher Education. So so great to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Ashley, you are currently a research analyst at the American Council on Education, ACE, and also working on your PhD in higher ed administration at Howard University. Tell us about your journey and how you ended up choosing this path. (laughs) When I saw that question, I kept thinking it would be really unfair to say that I chose the path, much less the path chose me. (laughs) I, you know, I moved to D.C. originally to work on my Ph.D. And then this program centered around minority serving institutions and higher ed program opened up at Howard. And it felt like it just it just made sense. After about a year I actually, my first introduction to ACE was I applied to be a graduate research assistant here. And so had gotten the position and had to turn it down because I was completely just up to, up to my eyeballs and work and stress and navigating such imposter syndrome that surely I couldn't be a researcher. So I sort of talked myself out of the position. When I saw the position opening, it was program manager role for uh, the American Council on Education and connected with the Women's Network specifically, it just made sense given my research interest and, and given my life interest, quite frankly. And so I always say the path kind of chose me and it's worked out It's worked out in a way that I couldn't have even planned. So I'm very, very grateful. So I have a follow-up question. How do you cope with yeah. imposter syndrome? Outside of a good red blend, um, <laughs> I think one of the things that I do is I come prepared my imposter syndrome sort of works where I challenge myself to do a thing. When it works out, I have to sometimes remind myself that I was the person who actually did the thing. So sometimes I remind myself that, no, you actually really worked for it and you actually really did it and you get to celebrate that. You get to say I'm good at something. Yes. Awesome. So your dissertation right now is called I've Got a Testimony, Black Women Presidents mm-hmm. and Emerita Ascension Stories. This sounds awesome. Yeah. Can you tell us about Thank your- you. When I tell you that I may very well pass out from fangirling on meeting half of these people. The great thing about ACE and my current role is I work a lot with women presidents. 5% of college presidents are all women of color, right? So we don't even disaggregate based on uh, or race or ethnicity beyond just saying, they're all the people who are not white essentially in this category. And so my research, I really think, contributes to the narrative uh, for Black women and, and hopefully some, some of the mechanisms that they're using to survive 
And then, you know, I have to be intentional in saying one day I aspire to be a college president, right? So this sort of fuels my research, as scary as that is to say. But I'm excited for the possibility and why not align every part of my experience with this thing that I want? Why not? So my research is, I call it me search too. I love that. You know, Roopsy is strategic like that. She... (laughs) I want to be a college president. (laughs) She wants to be a college president too. (laughs) Yes. And I love the fact that you're studying that topic. That's awesome. That is fantastic. And who better to learn from than the people who are doing it? Right, right. Well, so building on that, your vantage point, when I met you, it was at an ACE Women's Network event. And you're right. That is an amazing space to be. So what do you see? I think of ACE as the professional association for higher ed leaders, especially in the U.S. So what do you see from what they're telling you as the biggest challenges for higher ed today? Sure. So, you know, I can't speak for ACE. I I have my, you know, (laughs) I've I've got my lens outside of this place. I've got my lens inside this place. And oftentimes they're either really in close relationship or they are completely going against each other. Right. Number one, we've got a public trust conversation. People need to actually believe that higher ed does what it says it does. Right. I think the other part of that is, is we need to have a really intentional conversation about trust because that means something entirely different based on race. It means something entirely different based on socioeconomic status, based on first generation status. And I happen to be sort of in all of those categories. I'm a black woman. We're very much so a working class family and, you know, all of the other sort of margins that you can think about in higher ed, I fit really in a lot of those categories, which fuels my work. And so I think this conversation on public trust, those of us who do the work at the intersection, we've got to be intentional about this because student loan debt is impacting people of color tremendously different than it's impacting white students. And it's impacting black women significantly more than any other racial gendered group. How could I not have a conversation on trust as I'm thinking about being a college president and what that means for women that look like me? and how we need to be really intentional about this conversation. I think we need to redefine what the margins look like in higher education and and our language around it too. So what what it means when you say minority students. No, they're not minority students. They're part of historically minoritized groups, right? Language is gonna be really important. Um, Higher education is one of those spaces we do tell people they can achieve the American dream in. What does it look like when your American dream doesn't align with what the average white person over 40 who's married, who's cis, who's heterosexual, like what happens when your definition of that American dream looks different? And I think we've got to start thinking about what that means. I'd love to talk about student loan debt elimination. I had a really cool opportunity to work with Senator Warren. She invited me to be a part of a conversation on student loan debt elimination, a national press conference, none the least. But in that conversation, it was really important. And the part that is very, very much so genuine is that people like myself, those people who have a significant amount of student loan debt, the reality after school becomes very grim. And so thinking about that student loan debt elimination conversation, and that's an important topic that we continue to push. You're absolutely right about rebuilding trust. It's different for every single person, for every single intersectional group, right? 
I'm from Flint, working class background. People from my hometown think, why go to college? It's not for me. I feel like we're back in the 1920s. It is not for working class people. It is not for racially minoritized people. And trust looks different with everyone. And rebuilding trust is not just rebuilding trust with wealthy white liberals. <laughs> and then what that means too for our institutions, right? So right. Right. are we over-promising and under-delivering? Or is it the opposite way? Are we just saying, hey, come try it? No, I think we need to have a realistic conversation. And I think that's fueled by what people want to get out of this thing. So the public needs to know what they want from, from higher education. Institutions have got to examine whether or not we can meet that goal and what our, what our goals are, too, in meeting those needs. And I think we need to have a very honest conversation somewhere in the middle on that. So Ashley, particularly with your research, with your work at ACE, I'm sure you encounter challenging data. Mm -hmm. How do you stay energized? What gives you hope for the future of higher ed? Yeah, I remember in particular when we did the unveiling of our race and ethnicity in higher ed, Rihi, our Rihi report. And I remember sitting in that room feeling it very heavily. You basically told me that in all of these categories, black people are doing the worst, essentially, right? And I remember thinking, for people of color, for black, you know, as a black person in particular, it didn't tell me that water was wet. What it told me was how fast water was moving. And I think that's important to know, right? And so after that, I had to really take some time to do some intentional self-care. You know, racial battle fatigue is real. <laughs> racial battle fatigue is how I ended up in D.C. I was so sick of sort of fitting myself into spaces that wanted to change everything about me, whether it was my hair, whether it was my tone, or all of these spaces. And so when I got to a Howard University, I had just about kissed the ground that, okay, if for nothing else, for this moment, my blackness is not the concern in this space. And so, it, yeah, I've got some, I got some woman stuff that still needs some work in this space, right? I've got, I've got some class stuff because this is Howard University. This is the Mecca. This is the hilltop. This is the seat of, you know, sort of black intelligence. And you're not a rich black person, so that's also something you've got to grapple with, right? So I've got these other intersections that still are at play, but I was looking for a place where I could really just show up myself, right? I don't get to take off my blackness. I get to disclose whether or not I'm low income or whether or not I, you know, or a queer identity. I get to sort of disclose some of that later on. But when I walk into this room, people see this black woman with big hair in most cases. I can't take that off. And I've decided that I don't want to, right? And so in moments where I'm reading and working with data, even that's really hard, whether it be about women, whether it be about all of these intersections that I have, I have to take moments of self-care and recognize that while this is the data, my job and my calling in life is to shift even one of these things by even a percentage, right? So we've got this, this initiative called Moving the Needle. And when I got here, I was like, okay, y'all, this is real cliche. And now I find that I am saying, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I sent three emails today. I am moving the needle, right? And we've got to give ourselves credit. I mean, I, all these systems of oppression were not created overnight. And they won't be dismantled overnight. If there is something that I can do to either build an allyship or, or build some awareness, whether in my official or unofficial capacity, then that's my calling in the space.
You have been listening to Rocking the Academy. Rocking the Academy is sponsored by Johns Hopkins University Press, publisher of University Technology Transfer, What Is It and How to Do It, by Tom Hockaday, available where books are sold.